listening to the Focus Podcast, here to feed your curiosity. I'm Baron. And I'm Sophie, and today we're sitting down with Naomi Bagdonis, who is a lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School for Business, co-author of the best-selling book, Humor Seriously, and an alumna of the of Claremont McKenna College, class of 2009. Most importantly. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Naomi. It's great to have you back on campus. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. On campus, in a fancy podcasting room with, you know, eggshell stuff on the walls. I mean, this is legit. <laughs> We did not have anything like this when I was a student. This is very cool. Thank you. So even though Stanford is only about six hours drive away from Claremont McKenna, so quite close physically, Mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about your journey from how you got from Claremont McKenna to where you are now? Sure. So one thing I love about CMC and the education here is how encouraged you are to explore different parts of yourself so or how encouraged I felt to explore different parts of myself so I was on the basketball team I was in the theater group I did student government Um, I obviously had a super rich social life like we all do I took classes at all the colleges and so after college or after CMC I went into consulting but I sort of kept that ethos from CMC. And so on you know, nights and weekends, I was doing improv comedy. I was, uh, I was playing basketball with some Athenas in, in San Francisco when I moved there. And so I sort of had this mindset of still wanting to have a portfolio life, um, a life that was sort of full of lots of different things. And so after college, I went into, what do you think? Consulting. Consulting. (laughs) And uh, I did that for a couple years. Got super lucky to meet this incredible mentor who um, who took me under his wing and got me into this executive coaching group. So a group called The Greenhouse, which designs and facilitates workshops for groups of executives. Really creative stuff and sort of um, uh, all based on building relationships and bringing more humanity into business. Did that for a couple years and traveled the world. That's when I went to Shanghai and Beijing. Um, and did some work in Colombia and got to travel quite a bit. And um, so while I was working at Deloitte, I had this moment that shifted my trajectory. And uh, it was with a client. Her name is Bonnie. And Bonnie and I had worked together quite a bit. So we knew each other pretty well. And it was a Friday night. We were about to um, close up shop for the night. And she said to me, Naomi, I bet I know exactly what you do on your Friday nights. And I said, okay, what do I do? And she described this life that was very sterile and very not me and involved re-ironing my blouses for the next week. And it was this realization for me of, you know, I thought that I was doing this amazing job of building a portfolio life. I had my improv, I had my basketball, I had my friends, I had my work. But in reality, I had built silos in my life and I had to be different versions of myself in those different silos. And so when I went to business school at Stanford, my goal was to integrate those selves. So went to Stanford a couple years after that, got really into improv, comedy, started teaching in the business school at Stanford, a class about the power of humor in business, and and left Deloitte so that I could write this book, Humor Seriously, which was an incredible two-year journey of traveling the country and interviewing comedians and leaders and getting to collaborate with people at the Second City. And uh, and then finally, uh, finally, it's where I am today. So I'm teaching at the business school at Stanford. I teach a couple different classes there. 
and um, and I have an independent consulting practice. So I coach executives and leaders and celebrities, uh, do media coaching and and um, and leadership coaching. Yes. Yeah, so you touched a little bit about how a lot of your classes have to do with humor and your book is called humor seriously so i'm wondering what got you interested in humor and comedy and you know how did it become a part of your professional life sure so i always dabbled in improv when i was living in san francisco i took some classes at bats improv and um and end games but it wasn't until i took my first class at the upright citizens brigade in la that i had a like semi-religious or I would say semi-spiritual experience with improv where I took an improv class and this this realization of the only thing that matters for the next 30 minutes is the eight foot by eight foot space in front of me and I have to be so fully present the only way to be successful with seven other people on the stage and absolutely no script is to be fully present in the moment to be fully listening to be fully authentic, not hold back whatever idea I have to go to commit to it, to be fully into it, to support my teammates and be 100% behind them, not be thinking about anything else in my day. And it felt like meditation. I felt like this is actually how I want to be living my life. And I don't fully think I am. And so, uh, and by the way, it was also ridiculously fun and hilarious. And the people there were like my heroes. So I was like, all right, I got to do this more fully. So I moved, uh, I decided I started splitting my time between LA and San Francisco and uh, and really diving into the craft of comedy in part for the love of it, but also in part to, to bring it back and figure out how I could integrate the two. Um, and to paint a picture, I was like a LA improv nerd for a while. I was going to three to four shows per night by myself back to back. I would text my friends and be like, okay, I'm going to be at the theater from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. If anyone wants to join me, someone would come over. We'd like get drinks between a show and then they'd hand me off to the next friend who was coming to the next show and we'd get drinks or we'd like hang out. And um, so it was really this awesome time of going all in on something that I really loved and believed in. Um, there's part of me that wishes I felt bold enough to do that earlier, though, because I think I was 25, 26 before I did that. I kind of wish that I had I had done it right out of undergrad and realized how much I loved it and, and sort of gone all in earlier. Yeah. Has comedy been a part of your life for a long time or what inspired you to really get your toes wet with your first comedy and improv experiences? It's humor has always been a really integral, integral part of my family and growing up. So my grandparents, um, had little to no money um, in the suburb of Chicago and um, were going through some hard times. And they decided to make Friday night skit nights where all of the kids in the neighborhood were invited over and in their basement, they would host these Friday night skit nights. So it was just a way of these kids in this really tough community in rural, in the outskirts of Chicago to have joy once a week in, you know, they would, they brought out all these my grandma was this amazing seamstress. So she sewed, she sewed these like costumes and she had all these different options that people could use. Um, and so uh, so that was really ingrained. And then growing up, you know, I, I saw humor as not only a way to 
sort of come together and have fun, but also as a really important um, resilience technique. Um, and especially when times were hard, I felt like us having humor in the household helped us um, helped us feel more agency, helped me feel more agency over my life, especially when things were hard. I also was like one of those super nerds who, when all of the other kids in high school were doing things like dating and drinking for the first time, I was like, <laughs> I was like in the basement with a full-on VHS recorder making SNL-inspired skits of myself as Troy McClure, which was a <laughs> Simpsons character, uh, which are like the most hilariously, painfully cringeworthy videos you've ever seen. Um, so I was I was like always into it. And I was doing it with my friends. Um, so I, I was always into it. Following up on SNL, what other sort of comedic influences did you have growing up and even to this day? And what do you think makes them particularly funny? Oh, comedic influences. You know, so Professor Aviv, early yesterday when we ran into each other, he... Um, I was so, this is, okay, I gotta say, this is one of the reasons why I love CMC. People here are so special and you think that they're special forever, but you're like, I don't know, maybe it was just the feeling, but they are special forever. Professor Aviv remembered me. I mean, I remembered him, but you know, the professors are kind of iconic. You're like, oh, of course I remember him, but is he gonna remember me? He remembered exactly where I sat in, in his class. He remembered that I sat next to Ramon Torres, who, I had so much fun with Ramon Torres. We would pass notes back and forth in stats class and just cry laughing together. And Professor Aviv was like, I loved how much joy you brought to the room. You know, it, we're literally passing notes about stats. We should not be doing that in stats class, but we were having so much fun. And so I think that more so, um, so I think I would say there are two comedic influences. One is those incredible, sparkly, special people in my life who... I have had the privilege of sharing a sense of humor with and really feeling like anything I throw at them, we can spin up into a world to explore together and have endless fun together and end up cry laughing. And one of those people was Ramon, one of those people was Ramon Torres, um, Connor Demon Yeoman, who's a who's a co-lecturer with me at Stanford. He and I actually teach. Um, we started the program teaching improv in the San Francisco County Jails together. Um, you know, there are these couple of people through my life who I feel have made me expand my own sense of humor and feel really confident in it. Um, do you, who, who are those people in your lives? Do you have, and you don't have to say their names, but do you have someone in your life that you're like, that is the person who brings out my sense of humor in the best way? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think I do have that kind of person in my life. And I totally understand what you're saying about them expanding yourself and making you uh, feel in a different way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's super important to have people that you can dependably go to to have a laugh with or smile. And I think, you know, you leave little pieces of yourself with those people every time you have a really positive, funny interaction, especially when things get hard and you know obviously we're in college like things get hard pretty often whether it's a midterm or an essay or you know you're just like on the grind and 
those people are so so valuable even if it's somebody that's a passerby or a close friend you know mm-hmm. it's so important to have in your life yeah i love that um actually in your ath talk last night speaking of funny people you spoke about falling off of this so-called humor cliff at <laughs> the age of 23 yes terrifying um which actually you know aligns with most college students going into the workforce so for a college with a pretty strong reputation for pre-professionalism what advice do you have for students to avoid losing their humor mm. yeah and i said this last night that your joy is your greatest asset that um it, it will help you be more resilient during hard times it will help you be more creative it will help you be more motivating for other people it will help make life a whole lot more fun it'll help you build meaningful relationships with your colleagues and coworkers. and i um i I, so Michael Lewis, the author, wrote the afterword of our book. And so we, we interviewed him um, for this. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, I use joy as a barometer for how the rest of my life is going. And if I haven't laughed in a while, because he said, you know, even the hardest things in my life, even the, the huge missions that I've taken on or the books I've written that have been really gnarled and really hard to write, even when I'm doing something hard, I always find moments and ways to laugh if I'm doing what I love, if I'm doing the right thing. And if there are, if there are periods in my life where I'm not laughing or it's harder for me to access joy, it means that something's really off and I need to take a step back and, and recognize it. And he said, it's sort of like sort of like if you're walking through the forest and things get really quiet and you're like, I'm for sure about to get attacked by a lion. <laughs> That's how he feels if if the laughter isn't there, that there's something really not in alignment. Um, so so that would be one thing is is recognize that joy is one of your greatest assets. And it's also a really important barometer of um, of whether at least for me it's been such a barometer for whether i felt in alignment with what i'm doing um so we just talked about who are those people in each of your lives that or think about those people in your lives that make you feel that bring out your sense of humor and those are really special people in our lives i mean there, there are other kinds of special people right the people who we can be fully vulnerable with hopefully there's overlap in all of these um for me making sure I'm connected to my CMC classmates who make me feel that way, um, my business school classmates, people who I've, whoever's in my life that brings out my sense of humor. Because then if I feel I'm waning, if I feel like I'm um, having trouble accessing it, those are the people who can help me, help me get it back. Um, I have a super tactical tip around that, which my business school students have uh, have come to really love, and that is creating, naming your groups when you graduate. So when I graduated, group chats weren't as much a thing when I was an undergrad, but from business school, when I graduated, group chats were really important. So I, had, I have a couple different group chats. One is called Pants Party with a, a bunch of my girlfriends from business school. Another one is called The Full Monty. Uh, a trip we took to Montenegro and there are there are sort of these different pockets of groups there are a couple people who 
I don't know that I would have stayed connected with for six years had I not been in that group situation. But because we're branded and because it's um, there's sort of this special connection and now we do reunions with those groups. And so I would I would say also, you know, there's that saying you are the average of the five people you spend the, the most time with. And so think about who are those really special people that you really want to be connected with five, 10, 12, I know 12 years out, 12 down, 12 years down the line and, um, and be deliberate about how to cultivate those long, long lasting connections. Yeah, absolutely. Out of the, outside of the, you know, person to person aspect, I'm really curious on your thoughts on the idea that humor in the workplace isn't inherently professional. Can you tell us about some of the benefits of bringing humor into the workplace as well? Oh, don't get me started. Oh, my gosh. Let me just roll up my sleeves here. How much time do we have? Um, uh, so there is so much compelling behavioral research here around why humor is powerful. Um, I'll tell a quick story and then I'll, I'll dive into the stats. So uh, last year, Connor Demon Yeoman, who's the, my co-lecturer at Stanford, he also happens to be the, the CEO of a large nonprofit. He, um, he was leading his first Zoom all-hands call, so his first virtual all-hands call with his entire organization. And, uh, you know, he's the leader of this organization. He wants to be inspiring. He wants to say the right thing, but he really wasn't sure how. So he's on the Zoom call sharing his screen and when he passes off to another person to speak he he leaves his screen share on but he pretends like it's a total accident so the entire organization is watching terrified as he closes his powerpoint opens up a google search and types in things inspirational ceos say during hard times and it was everyone lost it right everyone was laughing and he he called back and he said actually i have a few more things to say and he started reading off the list um, and it was this beautiful moment of, of levity, of some real vulnerability. Um, and it was also a really powerful leadership move. So we know from the research that leaders with a good sense of humor are seen as 27% more motivating, that their teams are report being more bonded, that they're more likely to solve creativity challenges. And then, of course, we know from uh, what I shared last night that these people also are more effective in negotiations. They, they tend to have uh, be more persuasive. So even adding a lighthearted line at the end of a sales pitch can increase willingness to pay by 18%. Um, and then maybe most importantly right now is um, in a time when we have never been more disconnected um, physically, emotionally, uh, through the hardship that we're each experiencing in our lives and um, and not having the kind of, I mean, we're all looking at each other with face masks. Right. Like I can tell that you're smiling, but but I'm not I'm not mentally getting that feedback like we aren't connecting as much. And so um, in that context, humor is such a powerful tool to um, to make people feel more connected and trusting and satisfied in their relationships. So when we laugh, we release a cocktail of hormones in our brains. One of them is oxytocin, often called the trust hormone. And, uh, and this cues us to create an emotional connection to feel more bonded and more trusting. So we know, for example, that when people laugh together, when strangers laugh together, they'll disclose more personal information. And we also know that when couples reminisce about moments of shared laughter versus moments that are just happy together, um, then they actually report being significantly more satisfied in their relationships. 
So just reminiscing about moments of shared laughter will make you more satisfied. So I want you both, after this podcast, you're, you have homework. Because I can't, I can't <laughs> not leave you with homework. Your one piece of homework is to uh, talk to someone that you have had a fun time with and just be like, hey, this person that we had on a podcast super annoyingly told me that we have to tell this story together. So let's talk about the time that you threw me in the pond for the fourth time on my birthday and it felt really unfair. <laughs> let's do it. Right. Uh, going back to your experiences of flipping executive leader and uh, celebrities, is there has, have you noticed any misunderstandings in terms of uh, some aspect of humor or comedy that is often misunderstood? Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, the most reliable misconception that comes to me is an exec will come to me and say, hey, I'm giving a talk or I'm giving a speech or um, I want to refine my messaging about X, Y, and Z. Tell me what joke to say. Like, <laughs> give me some jokes. <laughs> and I go, great, that sounds good. Um, Put that away, put the speech away, put the whatever it is away, and let's have a conversation about yourself. So we'll say, you know, tell me about your, tell me about what's a day in the life like? Um, what do you love more than other people? What do you kind of dislike more than other people? Do you, if you have kids, what's your relationship with your kids like? What's your relationship with your partner like? What's the elephant in the room at work that no one's talking about, right? So you, you kind of want to dig up what are the, what's true for you? Comedy comes from truth. And we think that comedy, or it's easy to think that comedy is just the right construction of words and the right, you know, sprinkle of cleverness here and there. But it, especially for leaders, it has to feel so authentic and real. And so, um, and so that life mining exercise is often the first thing we do. The other thing I'll do is, um, is a story banking exercise. So I'll have the executive and I'll try and get a childhood friend and the couple of people that they work most closely with to uh, to come in either in person or on Zoom. And we spend an hour collecting all of the, the important stories from their life. And they can be funny stories, they can be serious stories, they can be seemingly insignificant stories that matter to them for some reason. Uh, you know, they can be stories that other people tell about them. They can be stories that they tell about themselves. Um, and once we collect all of those stories, then we think about, okay, what are your brand pillars? How do you align those stories to your brand pillars? And how do you infuse levity into the stories that you really care about telling about yourself? Um, and that's something that if when I was at CMC, I wish that I was keeping a story bank for 12 years because so many wonderful, hilarious things happen, especially when you're in college. And I just, I wish I had documented them better because they, not only are they wonderful and fun to remember, but they're also such an asset once you become a leader. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have today. Thank you so much again, Naomi, for joining us today. And to our listeners, remember to stay hungry. Thank you for having me upstairs at the app. Also, I should say, so this upstairs area of the AF used to be a an apartment and speakers who would come speak in the AF would stay in the apartment above the AF. And so it was this space that you're, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, who has slept here? <laughs> well, we were in the student theater group and the student theater group would always put on dinner theater shows in the Athenaeum where we'd build the set for a week and 
uh, and then we'd put on the show and we were allowed to get ready in the apartment upstairs. And so it was always this super exciting thing because we were like, you know, Hillary Clinton has slept in this bed. Or <laughs> um, so I was a little sad to hear that uh, that it's no longer up here, but very cool to see this studio and all that you're doing. Um, so thank you for having me. I'm also just so wildly impressed with what you're doing. And this podcast is fantastic. And each of you is fantastic. So thank you so much. It's been a delight meeting you both. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much again, Naomi, for joining us. And to our listeners, remember to stay hungry.